Well, it is Palm Sunday, so we're going to take a break from our study of Galatians. We've got one more study left in chapter 6 out of that uh, magnificent book. So this morning on Palm Sunday, would you open your Bibles to John chapter 12? John chapter 12. We'll look at verses 12 through 19. Well, as they call it, the Passion Week has now arrived. And at this point in history, we're being reminded of the purpose of Jesus coming in the world in the likeness of sinful flesh. And that purpose was to die for your sins and mine. In John 12, 27, Jesus said, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And then he says, But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Now we're going to examine the events leading up to the purpose of Christ's coming, which was to die on the cross for you and I, through the lens of John's gospel. And at this point, this is the last of the gospels to be written. John is a well-aged man at this point of time, point in time, and is looking at this through the lens of history. And we will do some of that here this morning and make application to our day. Now, the historical backdrop of what we're going to look at this morning begins back in Exodus 12. In Exodus 12, God outlined the steps to be taken by Israel so they, unlike Pharaoh and the Egyptians, would not be struck down by the 10th plague or the death angel passing over Egypt and killing all of the firstborn of man and livestock. Now, God said to commemorate this day that death passed over those who applied the blood on the 10th day of the Hebrew month of Nisan, they were to select a lamb without blemish out of their flocks and keep it with them until the 14th day. And Exodus 12:3 tells us of this instruction. Each family would learn through this that the blood of an innocent victim was what caused death to pass over them. Aren't you glad because of the blood of Jesus, a second death has no power over us. So here in our text, the date is the 10th of Nisan, 32 AD. Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the spotless lamb of God. And then on the 14th of Nisan, he is offered for the sins of the world by being nailed to a cross, his arms extended representing the lintels of the doorposts in the house that the blood was to be sprinkled on of an innocent victim who caused death to pass over the ancient Israelites. Jesus died as the spotless and innocent, innocent lamb so the second death could pass over all who believe in him and all who have applied the blood of Jesus. Amen. Three days later, on the 17th of Nisan, Jesus would rise from the dead. Now... Just so you know, Nissan's not a car. Nissan's a month on the Hebrew calendar. Now in Genesis chapter 8, verse 4, we're told that the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. In Noah's day, the calendar was different, and God reestablished the calendar based on the Passover, where the Passover month was to be the first month and coincides uh, with April on our calendar. So again... Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the day the Passover lamb was to be selected. He spends four days with his people. He dies on Passover and rises on the 17th day of the month of Nisan, which is the Feast of First Fruits. He was in the tomb during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, backing up still dying on Passover. The same day the ark rested on Mount Ararat after the world had been judged for its sin. I don't know. I'm starting to pick up on maybe God was trying to say something to the Jews through the feast days about Jesus. Now, the scene we're about to walk into is this. Here's the setup for our text. John 12, 9 through 11 says, Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see who? Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, four days dead that Jesus raised whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in who? Jesus. 
how'd you like that to happen? You get raised from the dead and somebody wants to kill you for it. <laughs> now, up to this point, Matthew's gospel tells us Jesus had healed the sick. Jesus had given sight to the blind. Jesus had restored the hearing of the deaf. Jesus had cast out demons. Jesus had been transfigured before three of his, three of his disciples appearing with Moses and Elijah. Jesus had fed thousands on two occasions with a meager supply of food. Jesus had teached the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had met the woman at the well. And now he'd raised a man four days dead from the dead. And this man's own sister said, Jesus, don't open that tomb. He's been dead four days. He stinketh. But Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing, don't worry about it. I got this. Now, Jesus had also said by this time in Matthew 12, 30, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now, the interesting thing I think about our text and our time today is in light of all that Jesus had done thus far, the raising of Lazarus from the dead seemed to solidify these two positions among the people. They were either for him or they were against him, just like today. Listen, you are either for him or you are against him. There's no such thing as Christian Switzerland. Amen. There's no neutral ground. You are either for Jesus or you are against him. Now, here's the other curious thing about our scene. Jesus had raised other people from the dead. He said to a little girl who was dead, Talitha Kumai, little girl, Come forth, little girl, wake up. And what happened? She did. I love what some of the commentators have pointed out about the raising of Lazarus from the dead when he was told, don't open the tomb. He's been dead for four days. His body has begun to corrupt. And some commentators have pointed out that Jesus specified who he wanted to come forth. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he would have just said, come forth, everybody would have got up from the grave and come forward. And someday the dead in Christ are going to rise. And we who are alive and remain are going to meet them in the air. And we are all going to forever be with the Lord. But Jesus, Jesus having raised others from the dead, why at those times when he said to Letha Kumai, why did they not cry out, Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Well, the answer is our title. At this point in our text, we could say of it, the time has come. Our title is the time has come. Now, in our text, the time has come for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. The time has come for him to be arrested. The time has come for his mockery of a trial that the Jews themselves violated the rules that they themselves had established concerning the trial of anyone who'd been accused. The time has come for Jesus to go to the cross. The date was important. The mount was important. The cry of the people was important because all these things were prophetic in nature. And listen, I believe it's time for Jesus to come riding into town in about seven years from right now. Only this time he's not coming on a donkey, he's coming on a war horse. And he's coming as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But, it's a good but. Before he does, he's coming to get us. And he's going to take us to forever be with him. Nobody knows the day or the hour of that event, but the evidence seems to indicate our redemption is near and the time has come for us to be looking up for him to come get us. So in our text, let's join the crowd, examine this familiar Palm Sunday scene, and we're going to glean from it three things to apply to the time in which we now live from this historical setting. So would you stand and read with me, please, from John 12, verses 12 through 19. John 12, let's pick it up in verse 12. The next day, a great multitude had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took palm branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, 
Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And Lord, we thank you that the truth is you've gone after the world. The Father sent you into the world, gave you to the world that you might die for our sins. And Lord, for that, we are grateful. And Lord, we say hallelujah today. We say praise your great name today. We thank you for the gift of your son, our savior. And we thank you, Lord, that you're still saving today. We thank you that you're the God over pandemics. You are the God in all seasons of history. And Lord, we look to you and your matchless word now when we pray this morning in the name of Jesus that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Equip us for the work of ministry in times such as these. Lord, for the time has come for us to be looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in that we give you praise, honor, and thanks. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, waving palm branches had been a symbol of victory in Israel since the Maccabees drove out Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek madman, in the mid-2nd century B.C. So it's clear that the people, by this symbolic act, were looking for a deliverer. They were looking for a savior, and thus their cry, save now, or Hosanna. But the real question was, what were they wanting to be saved from? Were they wanting to be saved from their sin or were they wanting to be saved from the oppression of the U.S. government? I mean, of the, uh, the Roman government. I told you there was going to be application to our day in this. So. Now, the next day recorded in our text is the 10th of Nisan, 32 A.D., as we mentioned. It was a Monday. It was the day the Passover lamb was to be selected for sacrifice on the coming Friday. Now, the 10th of Nisan also has another interesting fact associated with it that comes from Daniel 9.25. Daniel wrote, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, that's Jesus, Amen. there shall be seven weeks. Now, remember the word weeks is is actually the word for sevens, the, the plural of sevens. And the Jews would readily understand they were talking about a cycle of years because they operated under the sabbatical year that God had instituted, a series of sevens repeating itself. So the text says there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven and 62 equals? 69. Okay. I'll give you a minute to get out the pocket calculators. So... And we're told the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Now, we don't have time to develop this fully and go into Nehemiah and all the details there. But the command to be, rebuild the wall around Jerusalem was given to Nehemiah according to the Jewish calendar on the 14th of Nisan, 445 B.C. in the 20th year of Artaxerxes that coincides with March 14th, 445 B.C. on our calendars. Now, again, we know that what was in view was weeks of seven-year periods. So if we fast forward 173,880 days or 483, 360-day time periods, you land on guess what date? You land on the 10th of Nisan, 32 AD, the very day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. In our text, the time has come for the triumphal entry. It was the exact calendar day. And not only that, like Zechariah 9.9 prophesied, the king of Israel came riding into town on a rather interesting choice of mount. He would ride into town on a donkey. So the next day is exactly the day the Messiah, Messiah was prophesied to ride into Jerusalem. The next day is exactly the day the Passover lamb was to be selected as a sacrifice. The next day Jesus rides into town in the manner that he was prophesied to ride into town 550 years before it ever happened. 
Don't tell me man wrote the Bible. Amen. Man ain't smart enough to write this book. Amen. 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 God wrote the word of God. Amen. Amen. Now, what does that tell us in light of our title? How does this apply to us today? Well, listen, here's our first of three observations. Listen, the time has come to live like Jesus could come for us today. Amen. The time has come to live like Jesus could come for us today. We could have said that yesterday. We could say it tomorrow. We could have said it six years ago. Could have said it a hundred years ago because that's how we're supposed to live. Yes. But listen, in this season of urgency, in this season of the expectancy of the rapture of the church, we need to be about the Father's business and occupy till he comes. We need to be telling people about Jesus. We need to be inviting people to church on Easter Sunday. If you can't work up the nerve to tell them about Jesus, I'll hide behind this podium and I'll tell them. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But we're going to tell them about Jesus. Amen. And the time has come to live like Jesus could come for us today. You know what else happened that day? In Luke 19, 37, 40, through 40, we're told then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him Jesus from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, the Pharisees told Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, implying that was their request, the stones, not the rolling ones, but the stones would immediately, what? Cry out. Listen, it was reported two years ago that the fastest growing segment of American society are the atheists. And the atheists today are crying out, shut up about your Jesus stuff. Keep, quit talking about sin. Quit talking about repentance. Today we need to accept everything anyone feels, thinks, or believes as valid because they feel, think, and believe it because that is the new definition of love. Love accepts all behaviors. Love accepts all ideologies. Love accepts all religions as valid because people believe in them. I always find it funny that people say today, you know what, nobody wants to hear and likes to hear that they're a sinner, as though they used to. <laughs> Nobody's ever wanted to hear that they're a sinner, right? But you know what, if you've ever told one lie, you're a sinner. And when you took that cookie and lied to your mom, you proved you're a sinner. You didn't become a sinner. You proved you were a sinner. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. And therefore, all need a Savior. And listen, everything the Jews had learned about the coming Messiah was happening right in front of their faces. It was happening right before their eyes. How could it be denied? A man born in the city the prophet Micah said he would be born in was alive. The miraculous manner Isaiah said he would be born in, of a virgin, happened. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he gave sight to the blind, he cast out demons. Just like 700 years earlier, Isaiah the prophet said he would do. This same guy rides into Jerusalem on the exact day Daniel foretold of, in the exact manner Zechariah foretold of, for the exact reason that the Passover foretold of. Amen. Now I ran across an interesting statistic uh, today and thankfully our screens are big and wide so we can fit the number on it but listen all the things I just said for one man to fulfill them through coincidence you know what the odds of that are one get this number one in 73 quadrillion 864 trillion 876 billion 960 million for Jesus to have coincidentally done all these things, those are the odds. You know what that's code for? Ain't going to happen. It's not a coincidence. It is God's plan. Amen? Amen. Romans 1, 20 to 23 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even or including his eternal power and Godhead, or the triune nature of God. 
so that they, the things that he has made, are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Are there any futile thoughts today? Yes. Are there unthankful people today? Yes. Are there people with foolish hearts today yes. and dark hearts today? Yes. Do they profess to be wise? Absolutely. Yet they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God, incorruptible God, into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. In other words, the true and living God was replaced with things man made with his own hands. And how foolish is that? Amen? Yeah. Now, nature proves over and over there is a creator. Man says, no, there's no God. Evolution is how it all began, ignoring all the irrefutable evidence of the Bible's record of creation. And listen, I believe the time has come for Jesus to come get us and to take us where he is. And my afternoon is completely open for the rapture. How about you? Think about this. The crowd has turned against him, just like we see here in spite of the overwhelming evidence of his deity. And Jerusalem is the focal point of world attention, as Zechariah foretold. The time has come to live like Jesus could come for us today. Amen. So what exactly does that look like? Well, here's two things. The first comes from verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, the previous verses. Then they remembered that these things were written about him, or they didn't remember until he was glorified. Then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now, I think we've all thought about it at one time or another. Man, it would have been awesome to live when Jesus was alive. It would have been awesome to be walking the streets of Jerusalem with him, to see him go into towns and heal every single sick person. How many say, I'd like to see that? Yeah, we'd all love to see and experience that. But our text makes the point through John the Beloved here to remind us that we have an advantage in hindsight that they didn't have who were seeing these things happen live and in color, so to speak. But the truth is the eyewitnesses didn't understand everything that was happening. We even see this as a biblical precept in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, where Daniel was told, hey, seal up the book because these things aren't going to become evident or obvious until the time of the end. We're living in the time of the end. Jesus is coming soon. Yeah. Now, Paul would later write from the vantage point of hindsight when he would say this concerning the things we're reading today and those surrounding it. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8, Paul says, first, or For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, scriptures that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the And he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. So Paul is somewhere down the line or some ways down the line from the events we're reading today. But... Some have died. After that, he was seen by James and all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also. And then Paul points that he was born again out of the time where the rest of the apostles were born again, as one born out of due time. Now, in contrast to Paul saying, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, John says the disciples didn't get the significance of what they saw until Jesus was glorified. Now, if we step back and look at this scene, we note that we have a crowd of people from Bethany who saw Lazarus raised from the dead heading into Jerusalem. And they're being met by a crowd of people coming out of Jerusalem to meet the one who raised this man from the dead. And as we read earlier, to see Lazarus. They didn't want to just see Jesus. They wanted to see Lazarus. And this created this frenzy type atmosphere around Jesus. Now, one of the things that everybody missed, or at least no one seemed to grasp at the moment, is that it was customary for a king who rode into a territory to declare his intentions by the animal he chose to mount himself on. Jesus rode a donkey, which was not a demeaning mode of transportation, but the donkey, rather, was a symbol of peace. If a king rode into town on a horse, that declared his intentions were for war. Now, Revelation 19, 11 to 16, you guys still here? Yes. Revelation 19 says, 
John speaking and writing, Now I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. There's only one who bears that title. Amen. And in righteousness he judges and makes friends. War. Makes war. His eyes were like a what? Flame of fire. This speaks of his judicial nature. And on his head were many crowns, speaking of his absolute authority. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called... Who are we talking about here? Yes. We're talking about Jesus. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Verse 8 of the same chapter says, The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's why we know this is us. Amen. Followed him on white horses. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, which is the word of God. And with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, read it out loud, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I could have just told you Jesus is coming again on a white horse, but we need to remember exactly who's in control and who's going to straighten this planet out at his return. Jesus is the authority over all creation. Amen. Now, the sad truth is that the crowd gathered not because they recognized Jesus as the fulfillment of every Passover lamb, not because they realized the calendar date was significant and they should be expecting something miraculous to happen, not because they understood the manner in which he rode into the city and the time had come for all these things to come to pass, they were thronging to Jesus because they thought he could make their life more prosperous. And when they found out his real mission was to deliver them from sin and call them to repentance, their cries turned from crown him as king to nail him to a cross. Now this gives us our second reminder in light of verse 16, and it's just this. Listen this morning. The time has come to recognize every word of God is true and being fulfilled. The time has come to recognize every word of God is true and being fulfilled. Now, there's a lot of crazy things said about the Bible. As I mentioned a moment ago, you know, one of the favorite of the Bible detractors is man wrote the Bible. No way. Couldn't happen. Too many miraculous things in the word of God written too far in advance. 15 different authors written over 1500 or 40 different authors written over 1500 years people who never knew each other are writing something that is a succinct and, and almost like a mechanized organism that is is uh, being fulfilled right in front of our eyes man does not have the capability to do these things or to write a book like that Amen. i'm a reader i've always i've been a reader my whole life i've read a lot of books but i have never read a book every single day except this one. Amen. And I've never read a book where you can read it every single day and find out something new every single time you read it. There's no book like this. That's why it can lay claim to being living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And in the midst of the myriad of negative things said about the Bible, many of them sadly come from within the so-called church, especially when it relates to Bible prophecy. But listen, we need to remember this from Matthew 11, 20 to 24, Jesus began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. I submit to you today, God has done mighty works in America. Yes. He has done great things in our country. He has blessed us tremendously. And yet here we are in, in a time of great need for repentance. Amen. Jesus rebuked these cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Amen. He says, woe to you. If you're wondering what woe to you means, let me just say it's bad. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, which was Jesus' earthly headquarters for his ministry, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to where? Hades, Hades again. Not good. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Boy, 
if your judgment is going to be greater than that of Sodom, which was utterly decimated and destroyed, that's, that's not a good thing. Now listen, the cities mentioned were the places where Jesus' ministry had taken place and most of his miracles had been performed, yet people from these cities were among the pilgrims in Jerusalem and many of them came to Jesus for what he could do for them and not what he could do about their sin. Now, I submit to you today, we may not physically see Jesus in person. God is still doing miracles today. Amen. Amen. But we may not see Jesus physically and in person doing miracles, but we do see God's word being fulfilled right before our eyes. It's happening all around us. That's why the Bible presents Jesus as the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 114 of John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And while we don't see Jesus doing the things that we would all like to see and, and seeing him here in person raising the dead and giving sight to the blind and restoring hearing and stopping the issues of blood and all the other magnificent things we see written in the gospel records of his ministry here on earth, the time has come to be confident in the word of God because we are seeing equally incredible things happening right now right in front of us. We are living in a time of prophetic fulfillment. Amen. Now, we not only have the advantage to look back at when Jesus was glorified and note all the things that were written about him that were being fulfilled, but now we have this vantage point, a vantage point that two, nearly two millennia of Christians didn't have. We can see the Jews back in the national homeland. We can see that Jerusalem is the focus of world attention and becoming more and more of a burdensome stone to all nations. We can see that the perilous times Paul prophesied of in 2 Timothy 3 are happening all around us. We can see that the great falling away, the defection from truth that Paul prophesied of in 2 Thessalonians 2 is well underway. We can see the unwillingness to endure sound doctrine Paul prophesied of in 2 Timothy 4 is unfolding right in front of our eyes. Zechariah 9 9 said Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and he did Revelation 19 said he's coming back on a war horse and he will and the time has come when the word of God is being fulfilled rapidly and exactly as written and we can and should live like that is the season of history we are privileged to live in now Matthew 24 44 Jesus said Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This, too, is being fulfilled right before our eyes. Listen, as I said, the largest portion or the fastest growing portion of society are the atheists. And if you don't believe in God, you're not expecting him to come back. Right. You're not expecting Jesus to come back. If you believe Jesus was a good person or maybe a great teacher, but not God, you're not expecting Jesus to come back. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people, again, inside the church who don't believe in the rapture of the church. They don't expect him to come back. So what we see Jesus talking about regarding his return is happening right before our eyes. We are living in a time of low expectancy of the return of Christ for his church. But that won't stop him. He's coming anyway. Now... Titus 2, 11 to 15, tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everybody Jesus likes. No. <laughs> appeared to who? All men. All men. Teaching us that. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly when? Right now. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Now listen to what Paul says. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one do what? Despise. Despi are we despised today? Yes, are. are the things that we say and believe viewed as uh, anti-greater good, so to speak, or... Yes against uh, the globalist and the great reset and all the other things that are uh, the world is moving toward 
Well, listen, I don't care if they despise us or not. I'm looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, or as we like to call it around here, the group plan. Come get us, take us all together. Amen? Perhaps today. Now, Crystal Lewis has a song. I've always enjoyed this song. It's uh, people get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. Amen. Well, listen, I want to flip the script on that and put it like this. The time has come to get people ready. Amen. Jesus is coming. Yes. Soon we'll be going home. We need to tell people about Jesus. Amen. 17 to 19, and we'll wrap up our time together before I get excited. <laughs> Therefore, the people who were with him were the crowd from Bethany. When he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. They certified that what had actually happened to Lazarus did happen. For this reason, the people also met him. This is the crowd coming out of Jerusalem to meet the Bethany crowd and to see Lazarus and, oh, by the way, Jesus, because they heard he had done this sign. Now, here's our focal point. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Don't you wish that was true? Yes. I wish the world had gone after him because we live in a different world if that would have happened. Yeah. But actually what the Pharisees were saying was this. If we don't do something soon about this guy, everybody's going to start following him. And our place of prominence among the people is going to be lost. In John 12, 30, uh, 23 to 26, following our verses, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Again, he's talking about his own death. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him what? Follow me that where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now, Jesus well knew what the Pharisees meant and how they intended to stop the transfer of prominence from them to him. They were plotting to kill him. But what the Pharisees missed was the fact that Jesus came to die. They weren't going to kill him. That's why he said in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Now, here's the thing. Crowds had sought to make Jesus king before, but the time hadn't come. And it wasn't the right day. It had to be this day that Jesus publicly accepted the title of he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. It was also true that the Pharisees had sought to kill Jesus before and stone him or throw him off a cliff before, but it wasn't the right time. Jesus came to die on Passover and not a moment sooner or later would he surrender his life for the sins of the world. He was in full control of the day and hour of his own death. And the Pharisees were obviously an influential, they were the influencers of that day. And they were a powerful lot in what they said, the people heeded, but their power was corrupt for it was human power. And they worked under the guise and the, the strength of manipulation and not from divine power based on the pure wisdom that comes from above. And they didn't want to lose the respect to the people. They didn't want to lose the prominence they had in the eyes of the people. And certainly not to some carpenter's kid from Nazareth who claimed to be the son of God. Now in Luke 19, 11 to 14, as they heard these things, he, Jesus, spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do what? Business, or some translations render that, occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, just like the council, saying, we will not have this man to what? Reign. To reign over us. Now this parable was meant to expose the heart of the Pharisees and their love of position. 
the love of greetings in the marketplaces, amens to what Jesus called their pretentious prayers. And these things would lead them to ultimately say, we will not have this man rule over us. They wanted nothing to do with this king because if he were king, they too would be under his reign and therefore subject to his authority. But this kind of thinking is not exclusive to the Pharisees. It's all around us today. In John 3:19, Jesus said, This is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now listen, I'm sure we've all seen it out there, heard it quoted out of context, the verse prior to the one we just read, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Is that true? Yes. It is absolutely true. But why did God not send his son into the world to condemn the world? Because the world was already condemned. The world needed a savior, not someone to condemn it. And the next verse says, here's the condemnation that the light has come into the world in the person of Jesus, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Now, <coughs> excuse me, the evidence of Jesus' deity is overwhelming. The reasons and necessity of him coming into the world are clear, but people reject him today for the same reason the Pharisees wanted to kill him. They don't want anybody to rule over them. They don't want anybody to take over the throne of their lives. They don't want a standard of right and wrong imposed on them from anything other than their own opinion. And this is being manifested today in the foolish things that people believe. Things unproven, obvious fables and lies. Things, some of them are just downright corny and stupid. And foolish to believe. Like genders. I don't know what the number is today. What time is it? It's probably gone up since this morning. But I got news for you. There aren't 69 genders. There's two, male and female. Listen, that's a scientific fact. That's a biological fact, a genetic fact, a, a, a chemical fact, a chemistry fact. But most importantly, it's a biblical fact. Male and female, he created them, period, end of sentence. That's the end of the list. And yet people today say, you know, you can be whatever you want. You can be a guy on Tuesday and a woman on Thursday and something, a mix of both on Wednesday, if that's what you want. No, you can't. Your chromosomal arrangement determines what you are. If you are an XX, you're a female. If you're an XO, you're a male. And that's that. Did I say it backwards? Whatever. You know what I meant, right? So, but do people believe otherwise? Yeah, it's just a crazy, crazy time to be alive. Things that are happening in our world today are just beyond belief. And listen, people simply reject Jesus because they don't want an authority greater than themselves, just like the Pharisees. Now, our final and concluding point this morning, we've said it a million times. Obviously, that's hyperbole. I don't think I've ever said anything a million times, literally. <laughs> but we are going to say it again in the future. And here's our last truth this Palm Sunday morning. You ready? Yeah. Listen, you've heard it before. Here it comes. The time has come to act like God's way is the best and right way. Yes. The time has come to act like God's way is the best and right way. Listen, God's way is the best and right way to live. God's way is the best and right way to think. God's way is the best and right way to act. And therefore, Jesus would say in Luke 6, 46 to 49, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Now listen, Lord implies a level of authority. In other words, Jesus is saying, Why do you say I'm the authority over your life, but then you don't even do the things I say? Whoever comes to me and hears these sayings of mine, he now illustrates his point, and and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation and against which the stream beat vehemently. And immediately it, what? And the ruin of that house was? Great. Listen, 
it's always been the right time to apply our three points today. Everything we've said today, none of it is new. But here's what we need to recognize. Time is not an unlimited commodity. We're running out of it. A lot happened leading up to the triumphal entry. But the purpose of all those events that led up to it basically culminated and manifested in less than a week. Listen, there's been a lot that has happened prophetically since May 14, 1948. It isn't just that Israel was declared a state again. The land began to bloom. The desert began to blossom. Fruit began to be not only produced but exported from a country that Mark Twain toured and said, there's nothing alive there from one end to the other. It's a God-forsaken land as he described it, but no, it isn't. It may have been dry and barren, but now it's fruitful and bountiful, and it's teeming with people and fruits and vegetables and flowers and all the wonderful things that uh, the prophets wrote about. And listen, there's a lot of things that have happened since May 14, 1948, but they're going to be manifested or their ultimate uh, fulfillment or what they're pointing to is going to happen in a lot shorter time than the Passion Week. As a matter of fact, they're going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. God! It's always been time to live ready for the rapture. But it hasn't always been time where you could see things that are going to be fulfilled during the tribulation happening right before our eyes. Think about what's going on today. Now, now listen, I just, I've had this question more times than I care to even count or consider. But let me just say this. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Come on. <laughs> you know why? There's no beast. There will be no mark of the beast until there's a beast. There will be no beast until the church is taken out of the way. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. So, what does that mean? Nothing, I just wanted to say that. No, it means something. We're being indoctrinated. Our world is being indoctrinated. Put this on, buy and sell. Don't put this on, can't buy and sell. Can't go here. Can't travel. Can't do this unless you have the mark. Now, the mark during the tribulation period is specific to the worship of Satan. That's what Revelation 13 says. Those who take the mark worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. Does that mean if you take the vaccine, you're a Satan worshiper? Uh, no, of course not, right? So the mark is not, or the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. The mask is not the mark of the beast. They're awful. They make it hard to breathe, especially any, any other asthmatics out there. I'm not a mask fan at all, but I'm, I'm anti-COVID too. Been there, done that. They've got no interest in a repeat trip. But the fact is we're being indoctrinated. Our world around us is being prepared for what's happening. That's never happened before. There's never been a generation that has seen the things that we are seeing today. And no, maybe we're not walking, rubbing shoulders with Jesus. But we're going to. Amen. And it won't be here. At least initially. We're going to be in the Father's house. Isn't that what he said to his disciples? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and that I may receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of majesty on high, living daily to make intercession for you and I. He's in the Father's house, which is heaven. That's where we're going. Someday soon. And our world is being made ready for the plan to be implemented of the devil. The time has come. The time has come to live like we're running out of it. Tell people about Jesus. Break loose and just tell people about Jesus. Just tell somebody about Jesus because the opportunities are going to come to an end. And listen, we don't want to wish the tribulation on our worst enemy and we certainly don't want to wish hell on them. People need Jesus. Listen, they're, they're some of the things, anybody else get mad sometimes watching or reading the news? It's like, you gotta be kidding. 
That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. How could somebody in a position of power think something so ridiculously stupid? I'm sorry, I'm giving my testimony up here all of a sudden. <laughs> but you guys are feeling the same thing, right? But you know what? God still saves stupid people. He's still saving fools. He's still saving those who profess to be wise but are fools. He is in the mind-changing business because that's exactly what repentance means, to change the mind. He can change Joe Biden's mind. He can change... He can change Nancy Pelosi's mind. Uh, I was having trouble with that, but, but the Lord got me through. He can, right? Yes. So that's why we don't give up hope. That's why we don't throw in the towel right now. We tell people about Jesus. You never, listen, you never know what the name above all names is going to activate when you say it. A praying grandma, a Sunday school lesson, a witnessing friend, you're going to water something someone else has sown. Just speak the name of Jesus and watch what happens. Because we're running out of time. And the time has come to live like Jesus could come for his church today. And all God's people said, Amen. And Father, we are again just grateful for your matchless word. Thank you for giving us so many specifics. Things undeniably divinely inspired. Things that even though, Lord, we, we long to see your son, our Savior, and we know we'll see him someday face to face, Lord, we're seeing your living word manifest itself, proving itself to be true day in and day out in times such as these. So, Lord, would you create in us an urgency for the lost and perishing? And, Lord, help us not to be overwhelmed, uh, Lord, by the advances of our adversaries today, those who hate the church, those who want to silence the church, but help us to see them as you do, as lost and perishing and headed for condemnation. Help us, Lord, to be willing to, to give of ourselves and to go and do all the things that you taught us to do through your own life and coming. And Lord, we pray for those who are around us. We pray for our current administration, Lord, and to the kooky, crazy things that are happening in our country. Lord, we, of course we want our country to turn around, but Lord, we pray you save souls. Yes. And, and deliver from death and, and save from the tribulation and instead of out of it as people will die for their faith during that time. So help us in these things, we pray, Lord. And we thank you for the, your timely entry and the manner in which you rode and how you fulfilled prophecy on that, on that day you entered into Jerusalem and received worship as the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Thank you that you are still our king today. And we bless you, we honor you, and help us to have the boldness to tell people about you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody that believes the rapture could happen today said, Amen. Amen.